Welcome to the third episode of Outspeech Podcast. This has been slightly delayed since um, the unprecedented circumstances that have rocked the world over the last few months. Um, But luckily we have some um, great speakers still in the pipeline and we've done some kind of technical workarounds to make sure that um, we can still get the expert opinion and interesting insights from everyone. And today, that is um, Laura Hogan, who is the owner of uh, Jellybean, the digital marketing agency. So I'm going to um, let her introduce herself. Thank you. Yes, so I'm Laura and I own Jellybean, which is a digital marketing agency in Birmingham. Um, We are fully remote, so this whole working from home thing hasn't been any different for us much. Um, but yeah, in these unprecedented times and the new normal, just for anybody playing the shot game, <laughs> it's all been weird for us all. Uh, how long have you um, had Jelly Bean now, Laura? Jelly Bean started um, just over a year ago, so we're still really new um, yeah. from an agency perspective. But I'm so pleased with how we've grown particularly with everything that's been going on in the world Um, and we've got a wonderful team um, behind us who all have their own strengths and specialisms Um, so yeah I'm just really grateful and thankful for how how we've managed to get through this. Yeah definitely and you've been sort of working in PR for quite a while now haven't you? Yeah I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) I've been been in uh, digital for over 10 years um so I started when I was in my third year of uni it's like my first full-time yeah. digital job um yeah. which for uh, <laughs> all those old school people was sending people sending people like products to review in return mm. for a link back in the days classic and you could do that school. yeah classic old school like link building days um so that was my first job I had to do like 20 get 20 products out a week for people to wow. review with the exact anchor text um uh, it, it worked so well like it was um phone accessories and we were ranking mm. above like apple and amazon and everybody at the time it. it really worked as a good as a good uh, tactic back in the day and um, so that was how i kind of started in pr <laughs> i get jealous when people talk about like the old school link building tactics it just sounds so easy yeah. <laughs> you used to just like throw a press release up on like a PR Newswire-esque service as yeah. well and you got loads of follow links from that I mean you know compared to how we do it today when you look back you kind of go yeah it wasn't really a good way of doing yeah. it and it, it wasn't really a press way of doing it it was just it was it was fancy oh, article spinning yeah, yeah. yeah definitely that's cool. Um, so I guess today we're going to talk a little bit around sort of traditional um, PR aspects and how they're still used and whether or not they're relevant in sort of the digital PR landscape. We see quite a lot um, this kind of merger of um, more digital marketing skills, such as the traditional sort of link building stuff, um, and then mixing with this kind of press acumen, I guess. Um, so we're going to go into that a bit later on. Um, and kind of get your opinion on that, which would be great. Um, but first, um, we are going to look at the Rowdy Roundup, which is where we discuss what's been going on this week um, in the Twitter sphere and generally across the industry. 
Rowdy roundup, rowdy roundup, rowdy roundup. Cool. So, um, Laura, have you seen anything this week um, in the industry or the Twitter sphere that um, you'd like to discuss or bring up? Yeah, I think we we do tend to have a bit of uh, two sides. I think in in PR sometimes where there's a lot of sharing of positives, which mm. I personally really like. Um, but there does seem to still be a bit of a negative attitude towards people sharing wins and positives. Um, I think you just need to remember everybody's got different budgets. Mm. Every client comes to you um, to an agency with different KPIs. They have mm. different spend levels with you. So if somebody's posting that they've released a campaign and got 100 odd links for yeah. it, really big campaign don't judge yourself on that because your client level might not be the same and mm. also you know it's brilliant that they've got that work and congratulate them for it I think there's a, there's a big element of jealousy um yeah. at the moment on social and I know we've all been locked up for a while yeah and that's probably playing a part in it um but mm. I think yeah let's just keep 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 the kindness going where we can on social and yeah. just remember not to mark yourself and your work on what other people are doing because everybody's campaigns are a hundred percent different yeah definitely do you think people do end up sort of comparing themselves then when they see these bigger campaigns shared I think so I think it's very easy to um Mm -hmm. because you don't know the background of that campaign and you don't know you know you don't know what that agency's minimum spend is minimum Mm -hmm. minimum retainer levels everybody's is different because it's just different geographically to of how, yeah. of how much people will spend um yeah I think there's always the thing is with PR as well there's always a little bit of luck isn't there involved like you know there's a lot of skill and strategy put into it as well but then the a tiny aspect of it is always luck you never know so much luck. you know like the, yeah. the journalist is might be in a better mood that day or they might be writing on something similar so they pick it up like there's just so much stuff you can't control hundred percent like we actually um pulled together the instagram earnings of the selling sunset cast yeah in june oh and wow. put it out and it didn't get pick up and then like two weeks ago i saw it get pick up everywhere and i was like damn oh, we did really? that like That's we did that like so three annoying. weeks ago exactly the same journalist it was sent to i was like it's just timing sometimes it's literally like look of the timing well that's something i've noticed a lot recently in the industry is that I think it's quite rare as well because I've worked at different agencies in sort of more traditional roles and this has never happened whereby people keep nicking each other's ideas and is this a problem you know is this an industry problem is it because we use the same formats is it because um, we're working so closely together and sharing things that we're all sort of taking bits of each other's ideas like why do you think that is? I think it's a bit of both I think Mm. we we always look at competitors don't we and we look at you know yeah. how did these guys get some links oh they did a spotify playlist okay that must work for this industry or you know we there's a lot of instagram pieces mm. or ons data led i think at the moment it's partly because it feels like we have to be quick with everything yeah. i think that's the biggest thing i've seen with the covid shift is that large scale campaigns do still have their place but because the news is changing so quickly I think we feel a pressure now on us as PRs to be smaller campaigns that are very reactive that we can get data easily for. So you yeah. do, we do then tend to see a lot using really similar data sources for it. Yeah, I think as long as it's yeah. not 
yeah as long as it's not exactly the same piece I think it's fine like if you think about how many articles journalists are writing a day in each publication there's so many pieces out there yeah I guess it's only us who who's aware that we're using similar sort of formats for the data um do you think that that kind of um robs it of its creative element a little bit yeah I I I, I think COVID's robbed a lot of creativity mm. too. I think that I do feel like there's been so much more pressure on digital in general. Yeah. Um, you know, people have had their budgets cut. You know, people have been really pushing to get new sales in as well. So there's this like additional push to perform and to make sure that you're getting better results than ever before because it's almost like you feel like you need the show reel right now mm. to pull people back in when they kind of have their budgets back um and I think that goes across all spaces of digital not just the PR side and I think that's probably why we're seeing more and more people promoting socially the good that's happening yeah, and the yeah. good things that they're doing I don't know about you but when I have sort of more pressure I think it finds I find it harder I, I can't deal with that level of pressure <laughs> yeah I've definitely been having more days than normal where I've gone my brain just doesn't want to You're work like, today I can't do this yeah no I totally understand um, all right, then, I guess that kind of leads nicely on to the next um, section, which is DR Op It Like It's Hot, where we kind of discuss um, campaigns that we've seen within the last couple of months that you might have liked. When the pimp's in the crib, ma. DR Op It Like It's Hot. Um, just kind of following on from our discussion we just had then, then, are there, are there any kind of campaigns that you've seen which have used kind of quite creative or novel data sources which you think are a little bit more innovative than other stuff you might have seen yeah like I really loved um the sand pantone stuff that uh the rise guys just did I think we all did because it just showed how much we don't need to just focus on online in our campaigns which is something that we've been actively trying to do like to bring that offline element in mm. and to and to not just focus so much on links which yes some clients just want links from their campaign yeah, yeah. but also building on that whole funnel and if we can pull people in from a social element too and from a footfall element as well it just showed that our campaigns don't need to be just about you know here's a press release and a pretty asset kind of thing mm. It, it could yeah. be so much more that we're adding to, to clients. And um, so really, really liked that. Um, and then just for a bit of a fun one, there was a campaign about like how much airs in a packet of crisps. Oh, yeah. I've seen that before. I haven't seen the most recent one. Who did that? Uh, I think it was a kitchen cabinet company. Oh, yeah. Um, but I just like how they kind of broke down and gone, actually, you know, you pay £3 for this bag of crisps, but the element of it that's crisp is actually worth like one pound eighty-three. <laughs> I just thought like the data for it was so simple that yeah. they'd collated, but it's one of those where it's a talking point for people, isn't it? You you can just visualize like lad Bible or somebody sharing it yeah. and thousands of comments of people moaning. Um, <laughs> I can yeah. imagine that for like Amazon parcels, you know, when you order something small like a hairbrush and it comes in like a box. Giant box. Big. <laughs> yeah. All the time. <laughs> it does make me chuckle though. Yeah, maybe we could do something like that. Um, yeah, I heard quite a lot of discussion around the sort of the Santone one. I guess um, um, the kind of 
discussions I was hearing was whether or not it's specifically a link building campaign or whether it's broader than that you know it's a whole it takes in so many different elements of of marketing which I guess if you've got the um the budget is is great but then again it's kind of making sure that we don't compare our smaller link building campaigns where the KPIs might just be around kind of getting followed links or whatever and making sure that we're not saying oh why are we not doing all these fantastic things and making our own paint and taking hundreds of samples when actually all we need is you know several targeted links from high authority sites or I don't know it's just yeah no you're right I think it's breaking down what you want to achieve from it um and I I want to keep trying to think more with (laughs) a rise mind um yeah I'm gonna coin that um but I (laughs) I definitely think that there's so much scope for us to get bigger in what we do and it doesn't need to be giant budgets to do that like I'm a bit of a tight ass when it comes to (laughs) when it comes to putting money out for campaigns and it's a running joke I have with all our clients that you know we we want to put as little as possible but Mm. there's so many ways in which you can do campaigns that don't cost a lot so we put on an event pre-covid when people could physically get in a room together (laughs) and um so we had an event we had somebody like an influencer that the people coming would recognize we had bloggers come journalists come we had the kit out we did a racing competition like on a on a car rig and everybody got a few drinks it was awesome but it was really low four figures Mm. to put that on like Mm. you know it was less than what most people would charge a month for their retainer to put this entire event on yeah and we did it we got links from it um because everybody who came did a write-up or a new product the the kpi was to get awareness out of the new product that was what the brand wanted they wanted the launch of this new range to get out there and Mm -hmm. they also wanted people in birmingham to know that they exist because their brand had been in birmingham for like 20 odd years Mm. um but people don't really know that they're there and they have a physical shop as well as online. So we invited loads of Birmingham journalists and Birmingham bloggers as well as tech bloggers to come um, because it was a tech company. So the tech bloggers tended to review the product range and the launch, so we got links there, whereas the Birmingham ones wrote about the brand. So it was additional links and then there was social benefit from it too. We did a discount code um, that they could all promote so then we could track sales from discount code. So I think sometimes as as much as it's about having budgets and people having large budgets mm. to do these kind of things sometimes it's probably on us to mm. to yeah. get out of our box a little and to get yeah. out of our we need to do something purely for links head and yeah. I think when you start talking to clients about the different opportunities and the different mm. ways in which you can approach things they're most of the times they're really up for it and they'll go yeah, okay, we'll give it a go. Yeah, you know, if you can lay out the costs and the and the return for them, the potential return, I think it helps a lot of those conversations move move further down quicker. And I, I imagine that's what that's what the Rise guys did with the Santone because obviously mm. the colour palettes were sent to journalists to get their mm. attention and to get yeah. the coverage. I imagine the cost for that when you tie it all together wouldn't have been huge in comparison mm. to everything else. You're getting the sand collection that might have been two, three days out for somebody, you know, one up north, then do it south and collect all the sand. So in the grand scheme, again, not a huge cost. Mm. It's that person's wage, I suppose, is yeah. the cost to collect that. Um, 
and then the billboard well they've shown they've had successive billboards in the past with um mark yeah yeah one. yeah and i think i think he said that was a couple of hundred pound i think for like the month or something so again mm. not a huge cost compared to probably what the budget they had was so i think yeah. if you break everything down when you look at the giant campaigns actually sometimes the cost is quite low yeah yeah um yeah i think it's it was so everyone was kind of taken aback because it was um completely different to anything that's going on and as we discussed you know a few minutes ago we keep seeing the same format the same data it's easy to get into the the kind of uh, rhythm of using the same data sources online which are free and um the kind same kind of structures for a campaign whereas this was totally different wasn't it and yeah. everyone was like wow like how did you even think of this um which is nice and like i guess it kind of leads in a way into sort of the discussion that we're going to have overall on how kind of relevant are traditional pr aspects because i guess in this campaign um a lot of people would say that these are more traditional pr and marketing tactics um, yeah. and I guess that kind of answers the question overall then, like that they are still relevant, we can still use them. Um, but I guess it's kind of to what ex- what extent do you think that they're still relevant? Yeah, I think that we, I feel like sometimes we've been a bit snobby to traditional mm-hmm. PR and I've been guilty of it as well. Yeah. And that we've looked at traditional PR agencies and gone, you just get you know you're after column inches and you yeah, look at yeah. the snippets and, and yeah yeah and we've gone oh well you can't measure it like mm-hmm. you know we asked if we can measure it like so I do feel like we were probably all a bit guilty of being a bit snobby towards traditional metrics and methods of doing it mm-hmm. but actually we I've started actively trying to use them more and to bring in elements to make a campaign fuller and to make it not just about you know well, well we got you 20 links but you had like 100 visits referral traffic you know mm-hmm. we've been trying to think more with that mindset of well, where are you where are the potential customers yeah. yes let's get some links because that's going to help your seo and that's mm-hmm. one of our kpis but also let's make this campaign so that we have an angle where your audience actually is so that we can get the sales as well mm-hmm. and i think it's that that angle and not being afraid to do things offline Mm. that's a real that's a real big hit for us so we work with um a company called vibe by christine who Mm -hmm. um it's an athleisure brand and christine mcginnis it's her company she's the face of it the tabloids love her she literally breathes and (laughs) they print about her and write about her (laughs) um which is awesome for the brand yeah Um, but we have really took the traditional route with this and to try and look at ways that we can build in the print coverage that she would naturally get but make it about mm-hmm. vibe and get the benefit from that so one of the it's such a small thing but it's made a massive difference that we've picked up from a traditional point is when we get exclusive interviews with her and give them to a journalist mm-hmm. we're giving them all the imagery that we want them to publish in print right yeah because otherwise i'll just take it from a picture desk yeah so instead of just having the random picture desk images that they'll use on a double page spread we're having like four or five pictures of our products yeah on there instead and it's making a huge difference to sales because Mm -hmm. when they print it they're saying like you know this is the rainbow hoodie from bye bye christine Mm -hmm. this safi set people are then being able to find it Mm -hmm. and buy it so it's that's such a tiny thing Mm -hmm. but it can make a huge difference and i think when we're in the when we're in the head of links 
and our KPIs in that aspect. Sometimes we aren't thinking about the product and the sales. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Whereas, yeah, and we're traditional because you aren't thinking about links. You're yeah. thinking more about how can I just get the most out of this piece of coverage possible? So what I can I do? The idea is kind of like a blend of the both, isn't it? You want, yeah. You want kind of somewhere halfway in the middle. And I know you said earlier about, um, you know, you hosted an event, which traditionally, again, is, you know, it's quite considered quite um, traditional. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned it was an awareness. So I guess that the question would be, like, how do you, I guess when we start incorporating stuff like, awareness how would we go about um, measuring something like like that so we pitched it into the client that it was going to be um to help awareness for the new for the um legion line mm. that that was a new um like gaming pc range but that in inviting only journalists and bloggers we would get links which would help the seo rankings of the lenovo terms yeah um and help them then get the get SEO value from it too so mm. there'd be a double-edged sword in that on the day they'd yeah, get social mentions and Instagram stories and all of that jazz yeah, yeah. and following up from that they'd then get um the SEO which they'd never done an event before mm. so we we were all like let's give it a go let's see what happens like you know we we had a budget we stuck to that budget as I said it was small in the grand scheme of, of what budgets could be for events yeah um and that was fine because I, I said to them, you know, if we're all kind of testing the water with this, let's not go crazy. Mm. You know, let's do something. And we got John Bentley from the Gadget Show to come down yeah. and kind of host the thing. And naturally for the people there, he's an influencer to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. to the tech journalists. And bless him, he was wonderful. He took time to talk to everybody. He, he was getting bombarded with questions about <laughs> how people could make their career as a tech writer and things oh, like that nice. it was so nice yeah. he was such a good guy um and then we did a dry, driving competition a bit top gear-esque there where fastest time won um, a bundle of prizes nice. so it was just a really nice event and then they did get probably like 20 pieces of coverage from it That's afterwards good. yeah of the, of the people doing it so if if we broke down the cost per link I mm. suppose from it um they were looking at maybe like fifty pound a link at that, and yeah. you know the coverage was in like Wired and some mm. really high spec tech publications as well as the local. So it hit all the elements that they wanted wanted to achieve from it. Do you think as an industry, then we should be taking sort of more of these traditional tactics to learn, you know, sort of learn from them? I think so. It it won't work for everybody. Mm. It's definitely different strokes for different folks, um, <laughs> and it depends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the brummy phrase or if like I've never heard it before but oh. I love it <laughs> I'm gonna start using it <laughs> we have so many brummyisms <laughs> it's like the cob or, cob or bath debate isn't it really? yeah the cob the cob definitely yeah <laughs> in cob oh good <laughs> some people say it's like a bap and you're like well, no, that's not cool. oh no that's obviously not <laughs> Classic um, but yeah it, it depends on the client you know we've got clients that wouldn't work for and mm. it wouldn't make sense to do it for mm. but then we've got some that actually we could we, you know we could do an online event in in covid world um that could work just as well mm. and there's other things like you know we are actively trying to take conversations with journalists offline as well as keep you know we need to keep them online to some extent but 
um, like Black Fridays, mm. I always say is a good time because everybody's bombarded with offers. Yeah. So you've got to make your offers stand out if you want to get them featured. So we just did something as simple as sending all the journalists who wanted to cover our offers some jelly beans. Nice. Just posted them out some jelly beans. So on brand. Um, <laughs> yeah, so on brand. Um, it got their attention though. And, you know, in, we, yeah. we put a little letter in with it just being like, look, we're working with blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ping you over at the list of all their deals. Mm-hmm eat the jelly beans while you're reading it and I sent them all signed for so literally as soon as I saw on Royal Mad that they'd signed for it ping the email over Perfect. with the list of products on. so it's so simple yeah and I mean sending out a box of jelly beans isn't exactly expensive in the no. slightest yeah but securing that link it did so yeah. 80% of everybody we sent to covered it that's amazing um, so when I broke down the cost because I like a sum proper little maths now broke it all down based on how much it cost us to send out all the jelly beans and the coverage we got it was like £2.42 a link wow that's great and you go yeah that's nothing is it yeah in in the grand scheme so I think it's just it is definitely taking those elements and that mindset Mm. that people have from a traditional even down to focusing on the brand Mm. and you know our campaigns are all like digital PR campaigns are so awesome because we just come up with the most bizarre stories <laughs> all the time yeah. you know like who would have thought about like a Spotify playlist of songs you masked about to it was such an <laughs> awesome campaign I was like this is genius so we do such cool things that yeah. get people talking and get people commenting on social but sometimes I think we can forget about what news does the brand itself have mm-hmm of Dayden that we can talk about and that's mm. a traditional mindset yeah that yeah. works really well you know are they doing bursaries have they had you know there's so many things where you can get like the trade links in particular yeah from doing yeah. a brand focus story and I think we always think big don't we we always think we yeah. want to try and get a ton of links mm. rather than a really specialized link yeah so definitely. I think so, yeah I think bringing the brand in a little more um to campaigns could be something that we should think about I said uh, as you said sort of around um the kind of b2b and trade side I think that's you know there's still real place for the more traditional aspects there isn't there like Mm. it's really easy to do sort of the consumer campaigns but when you're going to the more sort of hard-hitting trade press they want a a bit more sort of sincerity in the stories I feel like do you think yeah do you think there's going to be sort of a time where digital PR and traditional PR merge so much that we're just kind of one discipline and we take aspects from both? I think we all need to come off our pedestals a bit before that happens. <laughs> uh, there's definitely still a bit of a argy-bargy between yeah. us, I suppose. Um, and I think because there's still traditional PR agencies that, are just traditional mm. and do not think yeah, about really heavily traditional. SEO. I mean, I've spoke with traditional PR agencies in the past who've worked with, with some of our clients who don't know what Google Analytics is. They've never mm. looked into it. Mm. They didn't know what Google Trends was. And you yeah. kind of get, you kind of thinking, well, we use that all the time for our campaigns. Like, honestly, yeah. guys, just bring that in a little bit. Like, <laughs> blow your mind. Um, but then at the same time, we kind of look down. I think mm. sometimes on getting you know clippings in a local newspaper so I think with yeah there's 
there's got to be movement on both sides where we embrace each other a little more yeah. uh, it's almost like the tech seo and content debate isn't it yeah like exactly. we're like that with traditional and uh and digital but i'd love I'd, i think i think it will happen mm-hmm. in the future i don't think it's gonna be too soon mm-hmm. um maybe with you know people potentially pulling budgets back and wanting to do more with what they've got it could be mm-hmm. the time for it to happen but I think as we're seeing more digital campaigns have those elements in them and seeing more digital agencies driving that I think that's when the gap will start to close a bit more yeah I think it's definitely I've seen a little bit over the last couple of years seen it a little bit more the gap closing just in using these more traditional aspects I mean within our team we've had you know the last few people that we've hired have come from either a journalist or a traditional PR background. And that's just because we felt that having that kind of newsworthy acumen was harder to teach than the digital side. Yeah, definitely. And I think like people with that background are such a blessing. Yeah. (laughs) Because they come at it with a different mindset. Yeah, totally different, isn't it? Yeah, particularly if you were an SEO and then you've moved to kind of PR from SEO, Mm. your headsets uh, links and kind of those analytics KPIs focus mm. whereas you really need that other side yeah too. um I'm a bit of a weird one because my background was um print and radio oh really and then I went into marketing and SEO from that so all my degree and kind of all the experience I built up in my while I was doing my degree mm. was um news newsroom on radio and, and print and then kind of when I came into digital, I learned about all the, the blogger stuff. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense. And, you know, doing online press releases and then mm. SEO. And then, yeah. yeah, you almost forget the first bit. Okay. Um, how, how, would you, how would you, I guess if there was someone who had no idea what digital PR or traditional PR was, like how would you explain the difference between the two to someone who's like a complete noob? I'd I'd probably say that digital PR always has an underlying secondary like reason for it, which mm. nine times out of ten is SEO value and links. Yeah. And it tends to be more conversation starter pieces, not so much brand focused. More about what can we do that's gonna get real big awareness for the story mm. and get us loads of coverage. Whereas traditional is more about honing in on the brand, honing in on where the audience is for the brand and probably slightly more bigger stunts and that kind of reactive comms crisis Mm. style of work. I do think the days where people think traditional PR is sitting with a journalist having a coffee and a black book are very much gone. Mm. Um, It it just doesn't happen anymore. Nobody has the time to do it. Does anyone still actually do that where they (laughs) end up? Going through. I think, uh, no, <laughs> I wish you could. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I, I think I think there's always going to be the odd the odd occasions where you can and where you do, and where yeah. you know you build up that relationship enough that you can go. Should we just grab a coffee? Can I pick your brains? Yeah. Um, but I think it's a, probably you know you've got to put a lot more work yeah. into that to get that, or at least yeah. have a mutually beneficial thing to come from it. Well, I know that there's some of the agencies have good relationships with the journalists and see yeah. like chatting on Twitter and stuff. So I know that it's it's still um there's still a place for kind of having that individual kind of relationship but I just don't even know where to begin like I don't want to bother journalists who have no time at all and be like oh do you want to grab a 
a soya latte with someone you've never met like they're gonna be like obviously no <laughs> you don't want to look like a little twitter screen I like know, just liking yeah. all their posts <laughs> yeah they're just gonna be like leave me alone you're an annoying pr <laughs> and we always say like within our team we kind of have a um kind of a philosophy that if your story is strong enough then a journalist will take it whether or not they know you like it's all about you know the story really and that still shines above any kind of relationship that you have so I agree with that yeah but I think you know I think obviously being you know having good relationships with journalists is is still positive you don't want to piss them off Um, no no I think one of the key benefits of the relationship is that then when they've got it when they're after a quote or something they come straight to you Yeah. yeah we have a few journalists that will now just like she'll drop me a whatsapp or something and be like this is what I'm after this week have you got anyone yeah like that's good because it, it kind of makes your life easier yeah a little bit if you've yeah, got definitely. a client that fits that but, it's um, if, but if you've provided them with good content in the past yeah. they're going to be more likely to come and, you know yeah exactly I think that's what it is in speed having that speed to get yeah. back to them really quickly is a big part of it and actually I think that's quite a traditional element to in that they, you know, they they would always be there and have quotes ready and be able to get back to a journalist really quick. Mm. Whereas we work to our media list and to when our retainers are and to, <laughs> you know the Gantt chart was set out. And but was I do feel like digital PR so much better at that now, mm. and especially with like response source and journal requests. You know, we we are really really reactive um, in, in getting those pieces as 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 digital PRs, but sometimes the clients might let you down a little bit on that yeah, side. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds. I I think we've kind of answered the our own question. Then I guess just from this discussion that it's kind of a blend, isn't it? I guess we. Yeah. You know, there are still traditional PR elements that are relevant because, of course, it's still about the strong story. That's what we're doing this for. Um, but then it's kind of got that underlying, as you said, like you know it's something additional when we come to 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 digital PR I really like that definition it's um (laughs) I might steal that (laughs) because loads of people you know when you're working with new clients and they're kind of they don't they've heard of PR but not digital and they just are assuming that it's all traditional and you kind of have to be like actually no it incorporates all of this stuff as well um have you ever had sort of clients ask you to do something really traditional and you've had to be like no that's not what our focus is once yeah but I tried to I just tried to make it work yeah as much as we could and we just laid out from the start like I was really honest with them and I was like I've never done this before mm. um and we we ended up pulling something together and it worked like they were doing they had a campaign already planned and they were using um a bunch of ex-professional footballers to help right. promote like the relaunch of their brand and an upcoming competition and they were like we want to get loads of PR for this mm. what can you do <laughs> I don't really know the uh, <laughs> way so we kind of angled it which ended up working really well yeah uh, I make it till you make it you know uh was we we use we, le- we used we leveraged the uh the pros <laughs> to do interviews whilst they were filming on the days for this campaign so we got them interviews with a bunch of publications both offline and online Mm. we got some exclusives with red tops things like that with them but they all had to credit the brand and be like oh so and so was here with this brand for this reason today and we interviewed them 
So that was almost how we got like the digital element in. Yes. In that every piece of coverage that came out had a link to the competition, yeah. mentioned like the brand and the launch and the launch of the uh, the competition that they were doing. Yes. Um, but it was definitely like we were just really upfront with them, and we were like, we're not hundred percent sure how you're mm-hmm. gonna get what you want from this. We think this will work. Um, and then we leveraged the players as well to do like uh, shout out vids for forums oh, and for like Twitter and Facebook groups. And in return, they would feature um, the banner of, of, yes. the, of the brand. So mm-hmm. we could track referral traffic from there and anybody that signed up from there. So we just tried, honestly, we just used the players as yes. much as we could. Yeah, uh, we let them all know beforehand, like they knew <laughs> what was going on. It was fine. And bless them, they were absolutely wonderful guys that were involved in it. Uh, and I still speak to them, like have worked with a few of them on other campaigns as well. Nice. Like I pulled them into other stuff. Oh, sure. doing. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep that list. You know? <laughs> this is my my black book. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's just about being honest, isn't it? If, yeah. if you have that really honest uh, relationship with your clients from the start, and you go, look, this is what I think is going to work. Let's give it a go, mm. and be honest with them on everything to do with it. Then whatever happens, you know, you're going to be fine from it. Yeah, definitely. I guess they were lucky, really, weren't they? That they had you because you could then get the link benefit from it as well as all of the additional stuff they wanted. I felt like a PA on the day. At some point. <laughs> I was like, I've got so-and-so on the phone for you. Are you free? Come on. <laughs> Just trying to, like, herd everybody together. And they was like, we need to get over to Ascot at this time. Come on. Like, it was like, a drive quite busy, isn't it? Um, yeah, but I, I think that's fun. I think that's part of the fun of it all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I, I first started in PR and I used to do a lot of events and there'd be days. I remember we did this um, trade show and I had like 17 different press appointments throughout the day and I had like no no time wow. to get from one side of the hall to the other. So all day I was just running around this trade hall and I just remember thinking this is this is crazy. Like it's so it's so busy. Whereas now, obviously, we don't do any events. You know, it's not like that at all. But I just had this idea is you know young and naive this is what PR is just like running around yeah but <laughs> it's crazy. almost like that whole like flying by the seat of your pants where you mm. just like you don't know if it's gonna work I think that I love that and I feel like you know most of us are doing that every day anyway <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like you you yeah I think you really get that in PR and particularly when you are pulling those traditional bits in because mm. It's not always as organised as we have our asset. We have yeah. our media list. We're yeah. going to have a batch of it on this day at this yeah. time and then repush it. No, so I, I feel like you, you do have that. Like when we were organising the event, like things kept changing because it, it was the start of March. So mm. COVID was kind of just no. tickling off a little bit. People talking about it. And it, it was that almost like, are we going to have to cancel this? Like, mm. is this still going to go ahead? We had people RSVP in like a day before. I genuinely had someone RSVP three months after the event as well (laughs) telling me that like they couldn't attend because they won't be in the country and I was like the event's passed (laughs) (laughs) you "You must have a very full inbox though (laughs) three months but I think that whole like when you see it all happen and you know it's the same with any campaign though isn't it when you see it go and you see it work you just have that like almost like elation 
Uh, it's a, I always call it a Prosecco day. Like, you should always have a bottle of Prosecco ready to celebrate your win. <laughs> well, you should so always have like, a bottle of Prosecco ready at any point anyway. <laughs> true. I always feel like vodka's more of a down drink and Prosecco's a happy drink. Like, we're both in the house. <laughs> Just in case. But it, it is, but it's that, like, it, you know what, we've pulled it off. This has been mm. awesome. Prosecco for everyone. And it's yeah. like, yeah. That's awesome. I'm just um, conscious of time, so I'm just going to jump into the questions, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that um, I want to ask you is, what do you think is kind of the most challenging aspect of your job or thing that you find my, most difficult? Ooh. I really don't like accounts, like from a finance accounts perspective. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the most challenging thing, particularly from the PR side, mm. is when you when you have a really good piece and it doesn't get the coverage and you know deep down that it's yeah. such a good piece um and it's it's not getting the pick up like honestly we've got it at the moment with a piece and mm. I know like everybody I've mentioned this piece to has been like that's such a good piece but it's just not getting pick up oh, and no. it's like is it the times that we're sending it we've tried a few different times are we not hitting the right people yeah like we need to so we're going to re-angle it and try it again because I I know that once it's out there it's awesome yeah so I feel like that's the most difficult part of it and maybe that's the side that we're all we don't really talk about massively yeah and that we all do have pieces that don't do as well as we thought yeah definitely um and no one likes to admit it Well, I think it's it kind of feeds into that luck side as well what we're talking about earlier like you know it's going to do well it's just you know like it's finding that right journey it's the right time yeah and right weather all these other kind of things which influence it which are out of your control um one thing I was going to ask you about which is something I've been reading and speaking to people in the industry about recently is that you know there's quite a lot of uncertainty around campaigns I guess in that you know like we can't control these things and like you say when they've got a campaign and it's doing it's not doing as well as you thought it should and it's it takes quite a toll on on kind of like your anxiety so I mean in terms of sort of mental health how do you manage and keep yourself sort of happy when we're dealing with this level of uncertainty in the industry fine um, <laughs> 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 okay, my, no, my uh my downtime it, I mean thankfully we can do it again last it's fine but it always used to be I go and get my nails done yeah. every two weeks without fail yeah. and that's such a girly thing but I just take that hour out and you just go and you talk to your tech about like love island or whatever rubbish <laughs> yeah and it's just you know when you just like turn your brain off yeah and you just don't think about it for like yeah. an hour or so yeah and that helped me so much like just going get my nails done going get my hair done and mm-hmm. just having that not to- not thinking or talking mm-hmm. about work That's and fine. yeah and I like doing like a long weekend somewhere as mm-hmm. well so I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to do that again soon um even like I I love an arcade nice. <laughs> so even for me just like going down to the seaside and playing like 2p machine oh my god I'm so good <laughs> yeah so good like we definitely we go and we'll just get like as many tickets as we can and come away with some absolute craft but I love that like ball. you get like a thousand points and you get like a bouncy yeah. ball <laughs> a lolly we got we got a sloth cushion previously. Wow. That's like my pride and joy one. Yeah. <laughs> but 
it's things like that it's just when you could when you just allow yourself to switch off which is hard for anybody and I do think it's even harder when it's your own business because you're constantly thinking about everything just take that time to completely switch off even if it's just for a couple of hours go and do something really fun to you Mm. I think the more childish the better as well (laughs) like you know go go bowl and do laser quest like there's a mini golf just go and have a chuckle um and yeah and just switch off but if I've had a particularly bad day I do go to the driving range and just like oh. smack out 120 balls and uh, <laughs> take some anger out pretend it's people's heads or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. amazing I think it's finding that you know that balance of being invested enough in your work but then being able to switch off so it doesn't yeah. take an emotional toll isn't it and I know that you know, so there are some, there are some people who are so invested in the work, especially I think when, as you say, when you do own your own business, and then you know a lot of the people you spend time with, um, sort of your friends, they become that they're also connected to the industry. So then it becomes even harder to then yeah. because you're always surrounded by reminders of it. So it's having something I think completely detached, like you say, like you know when you're chatting at the hairdresser or at the nail salon, like it's totally different there's no reminders yeah. or anything you can just be totally switched off which is you know such a relief and I think as long as people have that um no matter what it is if it's reading or watching Netflix or running or some other sport or whatever as long as you have that it's you know it's vital to sort of maintain mental health it really is there's nothing wrong with sitting in your pajamas all day watching trash on Netflix like I am so excited for season three of Sal and Sunset it is ridiculous <laughs> and like I I love like all the housewives all of them I will watch them all but I just think like you know what it is that just makes you smile yeah and yeah. makes you just feel calm and you write about you know your your group around you being in it like obviously Chris works in the industry and um we run businesses together so our our relationship is work as well as personal and it we have to just go okay we're not going to talk about anything to do with work now yeah Yeah. not today nothing to do with anything like today we're just going to talk rubbish yeah (laughs) yeah you just have to do that little little switch off to draw that line don't you I think that's yeah. what people have struggled with during lockdown, you know, working from home. I mean, I, I struggled with it definitely because my home is kind of my, you know, safe space, you know, chill out, relax. And I like having that boundary between the office and yeah. and my space. Whereas in lockdown, I suddenly had to like deal with that and it felt like such a shock. So that's why yeah. I'm back in the office as soon as I can. Which, because I like yeah, not, ev- not everybody has the space to have an office in there yeah, exactly yeah you know you, it's really hard to get that separate and with both of you working from home mm-hmm. I mean I don't know anybody who's got two offices and that's luxury <laughs> that's luxury yeah, <laughs> like, yeah definitely you're doing good if you got two offices um so you know one of you's always got to be working on the kitchen table yeah, one in the living room yeah. whatever like yeah, it, yeah. it's really hard to get that split yeah yeah at least you got someone to make you tea and coffee or <laughs> He does do a good tea. I'll give him that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I, we're nearing time, but just as a last question then, you mentioned Prosecco and vodka, but what's your favourite drink of all time? Oh, too many. Um, no, I like... <laughs> I really like I really like a Bellino. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I really like uh, Prosecco. 
anything that you can put with it works for me is or it... just a classic vodka lemon and lime you know? yeah that's nice isn't it I like citrus flavors what's the one what's the one which comes with a shot of Prosecco is that porn star martini porn star martini oh, I said that far too quick <laughs> <laughs> you were like I know that <laughs> immediately no, this one. No, this one. To be honest, just anything that hasn't got coconut or Malibu in it works for me. Oh, do you not like coconut? No, no, and I'm not a big gin drinker. I keep trying it, but I can't get can't get into it. Yeah, I don't see. I, there's been this big craze about gin recently, and I don't really get it. Like, it's all right, but I feel like everyone's obsessed with gin at the moment, and I'm just kind of like, really, it's too much. Yeah, too much obsession to the point where like you go in the shop. And there's about three times the amount of gin as there is vodka. And that really upsets me. Apparently gin is just flavoured vodka or something. This is what I heard. Tastes like rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I guess that's all we have time for. So thank you so much for for, um, speaking to me today. I know it's a bit weird and it would be nicer if you were here and we could actually go for a... Prosecco now, or Bellini, or Porn San Martini. Um, but we'll have to uh, park that until we have the opportunity to actually have a drink, unfortunately. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Yeah, thank you for asking. Thank you so much.